This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different in that uh, I'm going to try and just make this a little bit more of an educational episode. I actually don't have a guest uh, on this episode, and we're going to try and uh, see how it works out. If it turns out to be lame, then uh, you guys can let me know. Um, I, I want to talk about coos deer and coos deer hunting. Uh, we, uh, our October hunts here in Arizona have just ended and uh, the November uh, middle hunts here, the November hunts are just uh, about to start and then we've got the late December coos deer hunts and then uh, Dar and I actually head to Mexico to uh, coos deer hunt uh, the rut down down there and um, so I wanted to cover um, an episode on coos deer and I thought I had written an article for Western Hunter magazine probably five years ago on uh, tips for better coos deer hunting and I thought I would try and cover the information in that article and uh, do a brief tutorial so to speak on some tips to uh, try and help you guys uh, on your coos deer hunts. And uh, so we'll just see how it goes. Uh, coos deer can be a very challenging hunt and it's often called a poor man's sheep hunt. Um, my goal in doing this episode is to try and highlight some tactics and ideas from some of the best coos deer guides in the country. Uh, I have the uh, fortune of being able to be around some of the best uh, coos deer hunters uh, there are. And uh, in this particular article, uh, I actually interviewed uh, Dan Bishop of Cola Blanca Outfitters, um, who operates Cola Blanca Outfitters, and uh, his website is colablancaoutfitters.com. I also interviewed Brad Folk of Rio Sonora Outfitters uh, at riosonoraoutfitters.com, and then my partner and associate, my hunting partner and, and guiding associate, Dar Colburn of Colburn and Scott Outfitters. And uh, that website is colburnandscottoutfitters.com. Uh, what, a, what a great uh, couple of guys to bounce some ideas off of. And, you know, one may say, well, man, those guys are your competitors down in Mexico for coos deer. And my answer always to that is, um, there's plenty of ranches and plenty of coos deer uh, to go around. There's plenty of hunters that want to go down there and hunt in Mexico. Um, and so I don't really look at them as competitors. I look at them as friends and fellow associates. Um, and I consider uh, both Dan and Brad to be friends of mine and, of course, Dar. Um, let's get started here with this um, coos deer tutorial and one of the questions I ask those guys is, how important are good optics for coos deer hunting? And Brad Folk says, the most important. If you can't find them, you can't shoot them. Quality optics are a must when hunting coos deer and for most applications in the West. 
this is important this is important not only to find a buck but to discern what the buck is regarding score etc having optics to provide you the quality and magnification and resolution saves us many steps in the field uh, in the field stalking a buck we may later realize isn't quite what we want and that costs time time we could be spending for looking for the right buck Another important aspect of quality optics is eye fatigue. If you're not looking through good glass, you're not finding bucks. Uh, eye fatigue from lower quality glass can put, put you on your back and out of the game. I will uh, stop going on and on on this topic, but can tell you I not only think, but know optics are the key to successful hunting. Um, I weighed in on this article and say the most important piece of equipment in my mind for coos deer hunting are optics. It is imperative to buy the most expensive binoculars that you can afford. And, you know, one of the things about expensive, does that necessarily mean they're better? No, not in most applications, but I've found in optics, it does apply. Most of the time, the most expensive binoculars typically are the best binoculars. Uh, I can't stress enough how important top-of-the-line optics are for success on coos deer. Um, the optics I use every day while coos deer hunting are, um, I've used the, I've had every generation of Swarovski Optic 15s. Uh, from the very first 15s that came out, I believe there's three different generations of those 15s, and I have the new 15s, and just like uh, when I went from the first to the second generation, uh, Swarovski never ceases to amaze me. Uh, I have looked through uh, the other European brands, and I still feel that Swarovski has that wow factor. And uh, the brightness when you look through the binoculars, amazing. Um, I also, Dar and I both also use a pair of Koa Highlander uh, 32x82 from the Outdoorsman's, and they're unbelievable binocular. Uh, one of the things about glassing with a big binocular, and particularly those koas, is they're an angled eyepiece, so you have to have a glassing stool, and it can take a little bit of getting used to kind of hunched over and, and looking down, and uh, if you've been on my website, uh, jscottoutdoors.com, you've probably seen a lot of photos of those koa uh, Highlander binoculars. I will be honest, um, I'm 42. It seems the older I get, the less that weight that I actually want to carry on my back. And so I use those koas a lot. Sheep hunting uh, down on the desert floor looking up. I use them coos deer hunting on the ranches in Mexico where there's some great road access to high areas where I only have to walk, you know, a quarter mile or say a half mile or less and uh, get up and use those binoculars. But they are amazing. Um, the clarity at you know two three miles out there on on bucks uh, with the right lighting is is unbelievable. Um, but if I had to pick just an all around you know in my pack every day, I'm going to say it's the 15 by 56 Swarovskis, um, and the new ones are are outstanding. I, I did try uh, two years ago. I tried the 1250 Swaros, um, the the 1250. I believe the 1250 EL um, binocular, and, and I have a pair of those. They are uh, fantastic uh, binocular, and the field of view in the 12s is actually better than the 15s, and I did like that 
I would say if you made me choose between the two, I would probably always go with the 15s just for that extra three power. Um, but I, I think Brad makes a great point in if you can't find them, you can't shoot them. And I think quality optics uh, from a comfort standpoint of being able to sit for many, many hours um, and, and glass uh, and, and, and not have to have eye strain um, is, is important. And um, uh, if you look at some of the best coos deer hunters out there, most all of them have uh, very high quality optics. The next topic is where is the best place to find coos bucks? And when I was asking this question, um, you know, everybody has different units that they like to hunt. And one of the things about coos deer that's so interesting is they live, you know, from say 3,000 feet, maybe even 2,500 feet in some cases, uh, all the way up to, you know, 8,000 feet on Mount Lemmon or 7,000, you know, high, high alpine elevations. Um, you know, one thing is uh, growing up here in Arizona, uh, a lot of country, you can just look at a photo and, and we have a saying that says it looks koozie. And um, typically coos deer really like the uh, mesquite and ocotillo and even on up into the oaks, kind of that. If I had to pick uh, elevation where the most uh, coos deer can be found, I would probably say it's in that uh, 3,500 to 5,000 foot range. Uh, a lot of yellow grass, um, a lot of oaks, a lot of mesquite. Uh, Brad Folk answers the question, it seems like coos whitetail are popping up nearly everywhere, and that's a good thing. Traditionally, Arizona hunters are associated uh, coos hunting with oak and woodland habitat types for the most part. However, there were units there were a few units where you could find them in desert chaparral on down into the mesquite flats. These deer have moved into more non-traditional areas and lower elevations throughout the state and seem to be doing very well. There are many opinions as to why this is occurring, but for me personally, this is Brad speaking, it is where I prefer to hunt. In the lower foothill areas near the flats have proven to, to be areas that produce the highest scoring bucks for us in Mexico. You know, I have to agree when you start looking about terrain, um, whether you're hunting Arizona, New Mexico or um, Mexico, there is something about the desert floor. And I always say in Mexico, speaking particularly, uh, the biggest coos deer bucks uh, year in and year out, the biggest come from uh, the desert areas. Uh, down by Hermosillo in Mexico, the desert flats, literally where uh, you've got these little, you know, thousand foot knobs, but it, but for miles around, it's just flat, uh, real deserty, a lot of choya cactus, um, and a, a lot of Palo Verde and, and really desert floor type deer. And there's something about the nutrients and, and the minerals in the soil those deer get big. Now the density sometimes is a lot lower and I think that has something to do with it as well. Um, but what I was really asking for in this question is not only what types of country, um, but you know, what units and everybody has their own favorite units. Um, obviously in central Arizona, you know, uh, 21, 22, 23, 
uh, 24A, you know, 24B, 6A. Um, every year, big bucks are shot out of there. And then you've got Southern Arizona, you know, you know, the crown jewel of Southern Arizona is Unit 33, uh, 32, 31, uh, 35A, 36A, B, and C. Um, just a lot of great areas to hunt coos deer. And I would say that you could find uh, a big buck in any one of those units. Um, I think if you look at, uh, you know, probably the best producer in southern Arizona, I would say is 33 year in and year out. And the best producer in central Arizona year in and year out is unit 23. Now that's open for argument and, you know, everybody's going to have their different opinion. I think it's important to note that in Arizona, speaking particularly Arizona, I think finding some of the best bucks, you've got to go where those bucks have the ability to grow up and to get old. And some of the times that is in very thick, very nasty canyons where those deer have a chance to hide from uh, humans that aren't going to be, you know, trophy hunting and, and after them you also need to hunt areas where maybe the lions aren't so thick and quite honestly you can find a big buck anywhere um but but i think you know sometimes in the flats maybe where people aren't hunting uh or in areas where you can walk a long distance away from a trailhead or a road um and get away I think is important and it seems like if you can get a mile away from access points uh, your age class of bucks uh, goes up dramatically. I actually answered the question the best place to find a big buck is in the places that don't see many people. You need a coos deer buck to be old in order for him to be big. The, the, this obviously correlates to remote areas in Arizona and New Mexico units. A good rule of thumb is to walk for a solid hour before you get to an area where you're going to focus on finding big bucks. Very rarely will big bucks be found in easy places in Arizona and New Mexico. Two places that also jump out at me are Choya and Prickly Pear Choked Desert Flats and extremely thick Manzanita Scrubbrush Hillsides. The reason for this is because these areas are extremely hard to hunt by humans. You have to have a serious amount of patience to sit and glass for hours and not see anything. When I'm looking for big bucks, those are the two areas that I will concentrate on. And like I said, you could find a big buck anywhere, but if you're going to historically target big bucks, you need to be looking in places that are not exactly easy to get to. Um... I, I, I've backpacked quite a bit uh, for coos deer and a uh, perfect example, Dar and his two sons just this last uh, two weekends ago on the October hunt, uh, they backpacked into some country and uh, got away from, you know, the, the, the quote unquote easy bucks that, you know, people could shoot right from a road, you know, a five minute walk and, and glass up and shoot. And, and Paul happened to kill 121 inch deer. And, um, you know, there's stories from all over the state and, and history proves that bucks can be shot anywhere. But uh, I've got friends that consistently harvest big bucks and a lot of them, they really, really work at uh, getting away from people and getting in those areas where those bucks have a chance to grow up and get big. 
The next question is, do you have a favorite side of the mountain to glass for bucks? Brad Folk answers, I don't know if there's a best side or not, but I can tell you deer prefer to use certain areas over others. Just like elk, turkey, and other animals, there is a geographical component combined with food availability, water, and cover the deer select for. A, a hunter gaining experience over time should develop the quote-unquote the eye for these areas and can scan a ridge while looking for these areas that appear to have it all. Places like saddles where deer tend to move through, for example, or areas with good browse and shade during the heat of the day. I prefer to glass the more open face of a ridge or south-southwest facing slopes during the early morning and the late afternoon when deer tend to be active and visible. In the morning, as the sun rises and temperatures increase, deer will move off into cover that provides shade and continue to feed or bed. We all hope for colder weather during our hunts, and in such case, the deer may bed in the open or at least stay in the open uh, for a longer period of time. If the weather is hot and deer are avoiding the open habitat, you should notice them drifting off into thicker cover of the north northeast facing slopes in this case i will glass it all day the best method is to watch what the deer are doing and adjust accordingly and plan for it i think that's great advice from brad being able to adapt uh to whatever the conditions call for and what the deer are doing at that time because we've got moon phases we've got temperature we've got uh, hunting pressure, there's all sorts of variables and factors that play into uh, what those deer are doing. Um, Dark Colburn answers the question, my favorite part of the mountain is the top. Good vantage point. I like to gain as much elevation as I can before I start glassing. If the weather is uh, hot, bucks can usually be found bedded in the shade or on the shady side of a canyon or mountain. When it's cold, I have often seen bucks sunning themselves. This is especially true in January during the rut. In the afternoons, I like to glass the shadow lines for bucks. It seems like once the shade hits where the bucks are bedded, they will often stand up and start feeding. When, when you start talking about uh, the favorite side of the mountain to glass for bucks, I would say in the early season, this, this is me talking now, um, I like to glass the thicker hillsides in the early season, the north-northeast facing slopes, not as much in the open, more in the thick. And especially in years like this where there's quite a bit of feed uh, and, and, and browse out there for those deer uh, they, and, and quite a bit of available water uh, in the puddles and the rocks and such, they don't have to move very far. So if they can bed and feed and drink all in the same area, they're going to do that. Um, and typically early season, the north, northeast facing. So when, you, when you're uh, looking at a ridgeline in the afternoon, the ones that are in the shade are the ones that I'm going to glass the most and the, and, and the first. Um, of course, I'll quick scan the opens, but I'm going to focus my attention on those thick areas. And it, it, even in January in Mexico, as, as the weather warms, there's just something about those um, uh, thicker, you know, dense hillsides with lots of shade. It seems like a lot of those bucks, uh, you know, love to go to that shade. So if I had to choose one or the other, 
I would always glass the shady hills rather and the thicker hills rather than the more open. Now, with that being said, if you're up on a vantage point and you can look, one thing I like about cone knobs uh, is you can glass 360. So just by shifting from one side, you know, you're up on a cone and you literally can just spin in one spot. You can look on the sunny side and then you can shift and all of a sudden you're looking in the shade throughout the whole day. You can do that. And, and I love cone knobs because at first light, I'm going to just power scan uh, the, where the sun is hitting and catching those deer out there glowing at, at long distances. And then as soon as it starts warming up, I'm going to shift and start glassing into the thicker, thicker areas and, um, you know, looking in those, those places where those deer are going to head to bed. And then in the afternoon, almost always when I hike up to a point, um, I want to go hike up to a point where I can look into as much shade as possible. Next question, when, when do you put a stock on a buck? When they're feeding or when they're bedded? I, th I think this is a great question. Brad Folk answers, it depends on the time of day and what the activity pattern has been. If the terrain is conducive to a stock and the deer will most likely be up and feeding for a while, we get after them. It is a judgment call every time and I think that is the main attraction to hunting coos. Just because you find a good one, doesn't mean you're going to get a shot. I don't like shooting bucks in their beds, but if that's the only option, I will occasionally pending the ability of the shooter. This is a great time to start a stock with hopes you can get into position prior to the buck getting up. Getting set up right and waiting can test the nerves of the best, but th that is what we do in most cases. There are many hours spent waiting for a buck to either get up or show himself, but that is part of the equation to successfully take a trophy coos deer. You must be patient and disciplined in these situations. The one thing I don't want is a deer spooking and blowing out of an area. If that happens, there's a good chance you will not see that deer again on that hunt. We have killed the majority of our 110 plus bucks on the second day after an unsuccessful stock. Just be patient and let the deer make the move. I think Brad makes a great point here. And, you know, Dara and I always like to say, never get inside of 300 yards of a deer that you want to shoot. And we've had hunters say, what are you talking about? Don't, don't get inside of 300 yards. <clears throat> There's something about that distance that outside of 300 yards, you can get away with a lot more than you can inside of 300 yards. And I think Brad makes a great point that if you find a buck uh, that you want to kill and you stay away from that buck you stay out of sight of that buck out of hearing range and out of smell of that buck your chances of killing him go way up if you interfere and get in his zone they are so amazingly aware of all of their surroundings they're most likely always going to pick you up so the way i would answer this question is um, I like to never move on a buck that's up and feeding. If I have someone that can either watch the deer and give me hand signals or watch the deer and radio me into position, that is one thing. But I, I think it's important and I think to be most efficient, if I can stay and watch the exact bushes and trees that the deer goes in beds and then make my move, 
either having someone watch or going moving while they're bedded, I can almost get get over to the point where it's close enough to shoot and almost always uh, pick that deer back up. I, I think it's important to note that, uh, and I've said this before on other podcast episodes that I've done on coos deer, is if you find a deer that you want to shoot, you've got to keep someone on him. Whether you're using a radio or not using a radio, hand signals work just fine. But if you have a signal that the deer is up and the deer is spooked and gone, that's going to save a whole day's worth of hiking and hunting when you get all the way over there and Dar's giving me the signal that, hey, the buck's gone, you've blown it. Then I don't have to sit over there all day and wait for the deer to get up because he's already gone. And, and contrasting that, if I've got a signal of, you know, put the orange hat on if the buck's in the same spot, keep it on if everything's the same, or talk on the radio and say the buck's right there, you just upped your percentage of killing that buck by, you know, tenfold. Um, Dar answers the question of why, uh, when do you put a stock on when they're feeding or when they're bedded. Um, Dar says, I like to make my stock on a buck after he is bedded. If the buck is within range out in the open and you have someone there to keep an eye on him, I will shoot him. I will, I will shoot right away. Most of the time you are better off waiting until the buck beds. This will give you time to close the distance and allow you to set up for the shot. The biggest mistake hunters make in ta- is taking their eyes off a buck while moving or getting ready for a shot. Coos deer are hard to see and they can vanish if you take your eyes off them. Having someone else glass with you is key. If you have no choice and you must make a stock while they are up, try and keep an eye on them or have someone else watching the buck while you move in position. I think that's great advice. Uh one of the things I'd like to talk about in bedded or up feeding is when a buck beds, so he's been up feeding all morning, you've been watching him, and he goes to bed. I'm going to say a general rule of thumb, when they bed for the first time that morning, usually they're bedded for about at least an hour. So that gives you time to get over there and get in position. That's not saying that they won't get up and readjust, you know, get their bed just right. But a lot of times when they lay down, they lay down for at least one hour. And Dar and I have found that, uh, that rule to be very true and, and you know, hold true in, in Arizona and Mexico. Um, so keep that in mind. And another thing, when you bet a buck and you're planning to make your stock, when you get over to wherever you're going to shoot from, Everything seems to look different. So I think it's very important to get some uh, mental uh, landmarks or, or mentally absorb where exactly that deer is by the big dead gray tree down below the big rock pile. Or, you know, uh, how often do you just uh, uh, take off and you get over to the knob and all of a sudden it looks totally different and you can't even find in within a hundred yard circle of where the deer is. It's very important to make mental notes of exactly which, which uh, tree the deer is bedded under, uh, which pile of rocks, uh, which ridge line. A lot of times I'll look up and if there's fingers of the ridge, you know, I'll count, okay, there's the middle ridge and there's, okay, one, two, and three and we'll number them. Okay, the left ridge is one. The middle ridge is two and the and the, the right ridge is three. 
That way, if in the time when you get over to your point, the deer actually moves, Dar can say, or who, you know, whoever's with me can say, the deer is now on ridge three um, under the big rocks. And so you have a reference. One of the next questions is, what is the most important thing to remember when coos deer hunting? Dan Bishop says, the most important thing in hunting coos deer is safety. Roads can be washed out and narrow. Quads and horses can be very dangerous. If you're not sure, don't do it. When you are trophy hunting and trying to be a judge and judge your buck, you will have plenty of time to load around into the chamber. Be safe. I think that's great advice. Dar Colburn answers, I think there are two keys to hunting coos deer. The first is getting to a good vantage point before it gets light and having good optics mounted on a tripod. The first thing you need to do before you shoot a buck is find him. Glass nonstop until you find the buck you're after. Some days are spent glassing all day almost nonstop. Once you find a buck you want to harvest, don't take your eyes off him. This brings up the next key, a good hunting partner or partners. The, the guys I hunt coos deer with would spend all day watching a buck through the binos for success of the team. Working together as a team for cross-glassing an area, keeping an eye on a buck, and spotting for the shot are key to our success. We work together and it pays off. I, I think those are two valid, uh, uh, important things to remember when coos deer hunting. The next question is, how do you glass for coos bucks throughout the day? Dan Bishop says, at first light, I want a big view. I want to see as much country as possible with the sun at my back. Midday, I'm looking into the shady north-facing slopes because deer generally like to bed in cool areas with cover. Evenings, I like to set up looking east, again, with the sun at my back. Um, and then I answer the question in the article. At first light, I'm in scan mode. I hit all of the open stuff that a buck could be feeding, standing, or moving through. I'm glassing way faster than normal. As the morning progresses, I start to slow down and become more meticulous. Midday glassing consists of looking specifically into shady pockets. This can be a mesquite tree or a choya cactus, but on the shady side of the ridge. In the evening, I primarily look on the shady sides of a hill or ridge. This is north and east slopes. You know, there... There's kind of two different trains of thought here. Dan Bishop is alluding to in the evenings, he likes to um, set up with the sun at his back and he likes to look east. And the reason he's doing that is with the sun at your back, the last hour and a half of light, there's an amazing glow. We call it kind of the, the coos deer glow and the, the sun is, is the reflection on the coos deer's light hides. It's, it's unbelievable how those deer stand up. And Dan's talking about probably, I would bet in this circumstance, uh, hunting in January when it's typically colder and deer tend to be more, more in the open. And I would tend to agree with him that, you know, glassing with the sun at your back, you can really put up some numbers in, in, in seeing a lot of deer and, and typically a lot of does. I would argue with with him a little bit, and, and it's really not up for argument because I didn't give him a preface of of, of uh, when you glass for bucks during the day, which which 
you know, whether we're hunting October, November, or December. But my point is, uh, in those warmer um, times, October and November, and even into some of the December hunts, uh, the bucks in particular like to spend time in the shady areas. Uh, but he does make a great point that in the evenings, in the right conditions, if the sun is at your back, the deer just pop and they're just pop, pop, pop. You can just, the, the, the reflection off the, their coat and off their antlers, you can really pick them up and put some numbers on the board. Give us your number one tip on coos deer hunting for big mature bucks. Dan Bishop answers, get out and pre-scout. You will learn what it takes to be at your glassing spot at first light. Getting binocular time in the field, a glassing tune-up prior to your hunt will help greatly. I know the third or fourth week I'm hunting in Mexico, I'm picking up deer I might have missed the first week, and it's amazing to see how many of my clients' glassing improves from day one to day five. This comes from watching deer in the binoculars, seeing their size, color, and looking for the shine off their back, and their softness against a rough, rocky, brushy background. I answered the question, first, if you have found your, this is Jay Scott talking, First, if you found your buck you want to harvest, do not take your eyes off your shooter buck at any time. Someone must stay on him at all times. It requires a hunting partner that you trust not to ever take his eye off a targeted buck. If someone stays on him while you get into shooting position and then you get on him uh, and have at that point, once you get on him, you have your partner that's watching the deer leapfrog up to you. That is the best advice I can give to be to effectively harvest big coos deer. Second, if you find a big deer and lose him somehow, you can bet he will be within 10 steps of where you found him the first time. Just keep looking. These deer are very habitual. You know, that brings up a point. Um, uh, James Dudley uh, had harvested a, a big buck with his bow uh, back in August, and uh, he had listened to an episode, uh, coos deer podcast episode that I did with Devin Beck and I guess in the episode uh, we had talked about this very thing that most of the time these big deer have a small circle and they don't move very much and uh, you know from one time or another the buck will leave there and you know he might get blown out by a coyote or a lion or something or a, you know someone walks through there but if you find a big buck more times than not he is going to live within about a 100 to 150 yard circle of that exact spot. So from the place that you saw him, if he's just feeding and doing his own thing and, and, and just hanging out, you can bet within say 150 yard circle, or you know, if, if that's the epicenter, that you can come back day in and day out and find that buck somewhere right there in that particular area. Uh, and it, it depends on the time of year too. October, November, early December, you can almost count on if you find a big buck, you can kill them. Half the battle's finding them, and once you find them, they can, you can harvest them if you, if you pay attention to that core area. Now, in the rut, you can throw everything away. Those deer move miles. They'll go from here to there and everywhere. One of the benefits of hunting the rut is that you see a lot of deer, and there's deer, uh, you know, moving on every hillside and chasing does at all times of the day. Uh, when it's not in the rut, October, November, early December, uh, a lot of times you'll find, you know, three, four, five, six bucks together in a group. And 
we always say when we're hunting uh, coos deer in Mexico in early December, if we find a big one, he's dead. Meaning he ain't moving. All we have to do is find him. We know that he's not going to be running around chasing does and our level of efficiency goes way up if, if we can just put our eyes on him. Guys, those are just some tips um, that I think will help you on these upcoming hunts. Uh, we've got these uh, November and December hunts coming up in Arizona. We've got hunts over in New Mexico that are, that are going to be starting. Uh, and then Mexico kicks off. Most people hunt coos deer in Mexico in December and January. Um, I want to thank you guys, uh, my listeners, for tuning in. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I know it's quite a bit of information. And quite honestly, there's so much more to talk about. Um, but I want to encourage you guys uh, to give it 110%. And, and just when you're getting tired and, and feeling like you're not seeing anything, keep glassing, keep moving. Uh, keep looking for those deer and uh, I want to thank all of you that have sent me uh, photos and emails of your successful uh, hunts already this year and uh, uh, you can send me an email at uh, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Every day I get emails from uh, listeners uh, telling me about their hunts and uh, giving me encouraging words about the podcast and I just want to thank you guys for that. Uh, You guys can follow along our adventures at uh, uh, jscottoutdoors.com. And I've been updating mostly on my Instagram. Uh, That's probably the place that I update the most. And that's at jscottoutdoors on Instagram. And my associate, Dar Colburn, at Dar Colburn. Um, Guys, I want to thank you for all the positive comments on iTunes. If you haven't had a chance to give us a review uh, on iTunes, please do so. That helps our placement there on iTunes. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, the title sponsor of this podcast. uh, From from right dang near the very beginning of this podcast was uh, GoHunt.com Insider. And um, they have just recently uh, given away... Uh, two coos deer hunts with us down in January. Uh, the names of those hunters were announced uh, yesterday on November 2nd. And um, we're going to have a great hunt with those guys down in, in, in uh, uh, Mexico during the rut in January. Um, if you're not a GoHunt.com uh, Insider member, uh, go to GoHunt.com. Click on the blue Join Now button uh, and use the J. Scott promo code. Uh, when you use that J. Scott promo code, uh, GoHunt.com will automatically send you a $50 Kuyu gift card just for signing up. And uh, you'll be signed up to one of the best resources uh, in the West, uh, talking and breaking down all the Western states. And uh, GoHunt.com has some real big news coming out. Uh, we're going to be doing a podcast episode with, with uh, their team here soon to announce that. And um, they do awesome hunt giveaways. Uh, this month, actually in November, they're giving away 10 uh, uh, Kuyu backpacks. Uh, last month, like I said, in October, they gave away two coos deer hunts. Uh, they've given away uh, uh, digiscoping ad- adapters. They've given away mule deer hunts, antelope hunts. Um, uh, just some incredible gear uh, uh, and uh, if you guys aren't already Insider members, go check them out. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code. I also want to thank DeadeyeOutfitters.com. 
Uh, they make uh, t-shirts, hunting t-shirts and hats. These guys are hunters. Uh, the four owners of the company are all hunters. Uh, they make this gear, uh, hoodies, hats, and, and t-shirts with hunters in mind. Uh, the the, the uh, uh, Chris Lacey does a lot of, he's a world-renowned wildlife artist, and he does a lot of the designs for the hats and the t-shirts. And uh, go check them out at deadeyeoutfitters.com. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you'll get a 10% discount on all purchases there at Deadeye. Um, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, until next time, God bless you. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.